your information is brought to you by the James T. Kirk mask from Kendar Toys. Take your Halloween to the final frontier. Welcome, foolish mortals, to For Your Information. Listen, if you dare. sense of humor welcome to for your inflammation a podcast about good movies better cocktails and best friends we're your host zach and i'm john john it's officially spooky season it's a time for warm sweaters it's a time for uh shutter subscriptions not sponsored should be should be Um, i'm manifesting things into this world i want us to have a shutter sponsorship right your use of chaos magic here is uh definitely going to bring about the end of my normal life and also the beginning (laughs) of my sponsored life hey man you know what they're either going to sponsor us or they're going to send us a cease and desist and either way it means somebody listened that's true somebody acknowledged our existence somebody acknowledged our existence and that's not just that's not to malign our listeners that do listen we appreciate right. it but we we need to get those listeners that aren't listening and uh that's that's what's going on now then mm-hmm. we got to get that nice shutter subscription then uh then we can move on to uh blue apron and uh simply safe how much money does fucking simply safe have to have to give all of these people like fucking just buku amounts of advertisement dollars see i think what we're overlooking here is that simply safe has probably just figured out the new ad model of look for people that are popular but are also cheap ah so it's people that can be bought yeah yeah, yeah. like imagine um uh what's something that's uh accessible and cheap um carl's jr imagine your carl's jr bag had a for your inflammation podcast ad printed on it that's a lot of money that would cost a lot of money to have happen like would. we would never be able to do that but it would cost less than um you know maybe printing it on a uh new kia sedona <laughs> the, the for your inflammation kia sedona we have custom built this thing to be ready made for listening to podcasts on long car trips however you can only listen to our podcast in it yes you can outrun your family but you can't outrun your past (laughs) oh god speaking of outrunning our past uh we're gonna do kind of a sequel to last year uh last halloween we did our meet the monsters series and it was very fun uh, that was kind of, we dived into, like, the universal monster movies uh, that happened about between, like, the 30s and 50s. Um, and this this year is no different. We're picking a particular subgenre to get into, and that subgenre is going to be the slasher films of Ooh, the 1970s and yeah. 1990s. I do love me some slasher film. Uh, I love the classic. We're going to call them classic now. They are classics now. We're going to call them the classic slashers, and I love them. I love them, too. They're silly. They're stupid. There's way too fucking many of them. Uh, There's some underdogs, but I think for this series, we're going to focus on the big four. And we'll get to them as soon as possible. But first, we gotta answer a question, John. What is a slasher? What constitutes a slasher? Okay, so uh, without getting too far into the weeds, just shooting from the hip here, uh, a slasher movie is a film with a body count. So basically, the core principle of the movie is that there is a killer. You may or may not know who the killer is at any given point in the movie, but that that killer is killing and you're watching it happen exactly so it's and slasher film in particular is a movement in the horror genre that has roots in the 1950s and 60s uh with psycho by alfred hitchcock being the most influential but it really came into prominence in the late 70s to late 90s and uh these films are defined as a masked matter killer terrorizing teenagers and adults usually with a giant knife etc so there's no there's no killers going around with like you know a magic gun it's always like either knives attached to the hands it's a giant knife maybe a chainsaw yeah something real personal not like the scarecrow who's just capping people at a distance he's indiscriminately he's drive-bying people on one of those magic green horses from the emerald city nah dude i i i have to take back what we said in our wizard of oz episode i think he's a giant fucking pussy because 
Okay, so you think he has a gun because he's a coward and won't use a giant knife like Michael Myers? No, I think that he's a giant pussy because he had that gun the whole time. He could have ended the whole thing. He could have, like, with that gun, he could have fucking gotten the Wizard of Oz to do their bidding and they could have, like, just circumvented the whole third act of the film. He, if he had that gun the whole time, why were they getting apples thrown at them? Why was the Wicked Witch of the West even bothering them? Right, like, right, it makes right. no sense. If he had that gun the whole fucking time, just start fucking pointing it around at people. Like, especially people that are terrorizing you. There was no reason for any of them to get terrorized in that movie. Yes. Uh, in the land of munchkins, he with the gat is king. Um, I think that maybe this is also... Uh... How do I say this? Um, it's very much what happened in Star Wars uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, where C-3PO is like a god among Ewoks because he's made of gold and he can talk. And, you know, when you bring that type of technology to a people who are not used to seeing that type of thing, it does kind of make you a god. Exactly. So if he would have just pulled that gun out, but it also is like, okay, are there other guns in Oz or is he the only one with the gat? The only thing that stops a bad witch with a flying monkey is a good scarecrow with a gun. The best joke that's ever come out of this podcast (laughs) anyway moving on um so these films are just like the universal monster movies from the previous generation while the monster movies touted foreign accented monsters to terrorize good attention american citizens uh dig into that how you will Mm. uh slasher films bring a new kind of terror to the screen a man in a mask inside your home ready to kill you in your sleep or even your dreams Ooh, so spooky yeah uh, accented monsters terrorizing good intentioned american citizens uh but like a like a charlie chaplin <laughs> like a charlie chaplin or a charles manson champlin manson uh, that yeah. should be the name of our band champlin manson that is actually uh, a really good band name the uh, patent applied for don't patent uh, applied for yeah don't steal that or charlie charlie manson manson that would be a good name for a band that i like good, that i'd be surprised if that wasn't a band name already charlie charlie manson manson if no one's taking it i'm taking it anyway all right so with this shift from you know just monsters that come from some other planet or they're just some sort of supernatural being uh the shift to just a man in a mask with a knife i think it mostly has to do with the rise of serial killer activity in the 1970s uh people were no longer afraid of foreign enemies from beyond they were afraid of joe down the street who may or may not stab them in the middle of the night the fight went from overseas to your front door yeah yeah this is a big shift that you see in horror where it's not necessarily the case that you're going to the monster anymore you're not going to an exotic location where the monster exists it is coming to you it finds you it comes to your door it it follows it will follow you so essentially what i'm getting at here is slashers are just draculas and frankensteins of a different name and uh while there are key differences in the two movements they are essentially the same they are all just monsters right uh frankenstein of a different name is jeffrey <laughs> call him jeffrey god damn it we gave him a name and i keep forgetting he's like the son that i only pay the fucking uh the child support on but i don't ever see you know what that's what is court required <laughs> it is court. you know what you don't have to be a dad but you do have to pay even if that pay is a little ridiculous sometimes i do feel for you guys i do feel for you anyway john le- i think we've done enough horse shitting let's get right into it so this week we're going to start we're kind of like i think the slasher movie really like kicked off and like started to gain momentum and to the point where like you wouldn't see anything but slashers from the horror genre for probably about the next 20 years and uh that little film is a uh, john carpenter's halloween from 1978 uh yes lots of spooky stuff happening in 1978 um it was a year before 1979 uh, i'm pretty sure there was some hardcore punk rock going on at the time there was um billy corgan was um having the seeds rooted in his brain for uh, what is possibly the best smashing pumpkin song ah i'm interested to know what you think the best smashing pumpkin song is uh 1979 <laughs> uh, okay yeah that's a good pick i thought you were gonna say like uh the end of any given smashing pumpkin album yes um it's um uh if you're not listening to uh melancholy in the infinite sadness in this uh infinite sadness of a time that we're living in i don't know what's gonna do it for you it's Mm. the perfect album for this time and guess what you have time to listen to it finally it is a two and a half hour long album just listen to it cover to cover why not 
sit on your couch, uh, pop open a beer, unbutton your pants, uh, turn the volume up and turn your inhibitions down, get groovy, let your noodle arms sway, uh, let your hair down if you have hair, if you don't, get some baby oil and put that shit right on your scalp. <laughs> so you can just slide and grease through the, through the, uh, through the angst and the melancholy of 1990s Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, 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 like a 1998 Michael Jordan. Uh, I d- redacted. Anyway, um, by the way, if you haven't watched that new Michael Jordan documentary, uh, The Last Dance, about his, uh, like, last year with the Chicago Bulls, it's very good. I really enjoyed it. All right, so, um, let's get, let's get right back on topic. Um, so, Halloween from 1978. John, I believe you've seen this film, but it's not your favorite. Oh, right? I've, heard, I've seen this film many times, and it is one of my favorites. Uh, perhaps oh, not okay. my absolute favorite. Specifically from this time period, um, usually I consider myself more of a Friday the 13th kind of guy. I also mm-hmm. really like Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, well, as well. Not Nightmare on Elm Street 2, but Nightmare on Elm Street T-O-O. <laughs> you really have to specify with these types of movies because they all have an ungodly amount of sequels. Yes, and uh, th- this one is the main offender. This one is bad. Yeah, this this one's bad. Except for, uh, you know, uh, Friday the 13th where they send Jason Voorhees to space. You know what? At least, like, Friday the 13th follows, like, a chronological, like, story. Like, th- they may not reference it all the time, but, like, it at least doesn't fuck up timelines and have... I think the Halloween series has... Four different timelines. Four different timelines. I like it. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, well, yeah, I don't want to promise that we'll get too in-depth into it, but we will talk about it. Mm-hmm. All right, so, you know, another thing that I'm surprised we haven't done this movie on the podcast yet, because it is so firmly written in our DNA, and you're going to see why as we go through this. I didn't even realize until I started researching how deep our DNA is into this as a podcast. Yeah, there's something about a guy with a knife running around and uh, stabbing teenagers that does seem to be something that we really uh, love in entertainment. And uh, I'm not even just going to say that's an American thing. I'm going to say that that's an entertainment thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it's the it's the unfightable monster. It's just death. Death is just hard to fight. And especially if it's coming at the hands of uh, someone that's not yourself. Mm-hmm. or time and like that's terrifying it's like having your life taken away from you without your consent which is yes. usually how it happens yes. i don't think anyone m- most people don't choose to die right uh it's, it's like robbing someone of agency is a scary thing exactly that and that's what that's what i was getting at i i'm, I'm not trying to malign any person or anything anyway um so let's get right into it uh john can you tell me something can you give me can you tell me something about alcohol that will uh that will allow me to take as many goddamn bullets as Michael Myers says at the end of this movie. You know what? I think I just might. So, uh, pumpkins are a big part of Halloween, the movie, and also the holiday, the season. So, uh, why don't we get into how pumpkins play into alcohol? Because there are a lot of different pumpkin products in the alcohol world. So, the first thing maybe we can talk about is, uh, pumpkin beer. Uh, Michael Myers strikes me as a beer kind of guy, don't you think? Um, I... I can't, I can't tell. Like, he look, he dresses like a working man. Like, he looks like he comes home covered in grease. He puts those boots outside because the wife doesn't like the smell when they come in. He goes and directly showers. He does not do anything else. And then he goes and kisses his wife. And then he grabs a beer. You know what? Yeah. He, he dresses like that. But I feel like Michael Myers is probably more of a, uh, probably more of a whiskey man. Interesting. See, I always imagined him crushing half a pack of, uh, Keystone Light. I think if Michael Myers is drinking beer, it's probably Paps. Okay. Just be completely honest with you. I see that. I see that. Uh, maybe also some of those old-timey uh, Coors Banquet cans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know what? I can totally see that. You know what? I support this theory. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. The more you talk about beer and cans, the more you realize Michael Myers could probably slay about as many of these as he could teenagers on any given night. Bud Light. Get get him on your fucking cans for Halloween. You know or, what? Or Coors. Get Coors. Like, 
instead of the mountains turning blue, you see Michael's face. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, uh, Bud Light's already kind of got the color scheme for it. Exactly, exactly. Just do it. Why won't you fucking just do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not listening to my ideas. (laughs) They're not, and uh, you know what? Maybe that's for the best. So let's talk about beer for a second. So in our history of alcohol that we covered uh, a while back during Bill and Ted, we talked about beer as the oldest and perhaps most widely enjoyed alcoholic drink that we have um ubiquitous it appears pretty much everywhere in one form or another and it has a few basic ingredients right so there's a starch there's yeast and there's hops or some kind of flavor usually hops uh of course water being the thing that binds them all together so when we talk about beer we're gonna be talking about those core ingredients there's a lot of variation there and it it hasn't always been that way Uh, anybody who knows anything about german beer knows about the reinsgebot which is like a 1516 Bavarian law stating that you can only use water, barley, and hops to make a beer. They don't really include yeast as an ingredient at that time, but you know, those are the only things you can use to make beer, and that's why German beer is so simple and clean. Even today in Germany, there are rules about what you can and can't call beer based on the ingredients, a little bit more strict than what we have over here. Ah, the German people being strict about something. Wouldn't have guessed. Mm, yes, only the purest of ingredients for my beer. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Please continue. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, and, and you have adjuncts, right? And adjuncts are things that are not those core beer ingredients, something that's not contributing directly to the starch or the variety of yeast or the hops. Uh, of course, you know, barley in this case being the one that we're talking about. But this could be anything. This could be wheat. Uh, this could be uh, rye. This could be uh, a few other things. And today we're going to be talking about pumpkin pumpkin beer love it or hate it it's here to stay people love it and uh, specifically in north america uh people really like to add this flavor to drinks so we have like the pumpkin spice latte we have pumpkin beers uh there do exist some pumpkin wines out there um not necessarily super common but it is out there it is a product you can buy well and i say ew but technically pumpkin wine makes more sense than pumpkin beer Yes, it does. And uh, here's how that usually works out. So in the process of brewing a beer, you uh, basically bring water to a boil and you add the starches. So that can be in the form of like an extracted malt. So you can get like a dry malt or a syrup malt or something. And all the malt is is basically taking a grain like barley in most cases and sprouting it and cooking it. And basically what that is going to do is uh, convert all that starch into like a sugar that can be easily fermented. So if you're doing it straight from grain, there's a washing process, and then you end up with what's called a wort. A wort, W-O-R-T, is the uh, unfermented beer. You just add flavors, and then you add yeast, and then you can get a beer. So with the adjunct process, there's a few different ways that you can add a pumpkin flavor to a beer. Um, Unlike other flavors, people don't usually just add chunks of pumpkins to a beer to extract the flavor. That's not usually how they do it. A lot of times they'll add like a pumpkin puree or they'll add like a natural flavor derived from pumpkins that will give it the pumpkin flavor. Some people have even gone as far as using artificial flavors. Uh, You know, that's not usually desirable among people who are brewers. Uh, If you're like a big brewing company, maybe you could get away with doing something like that. But uh, not usually what you're going to see. Right, so are they just dumping, like, the PL spice fucking, like, seasoning into the beer batch? Uh, I like that you call it a seasoning. I, I think that's uh, th- that's very fitting. <laughs> um, and who knows, maybe it is something like that that they're using for some of these pumpkin beers. I know a lot of them tend to be a little bit more of, like, the fruity pumpkin flavor, so it tastes kind of like the pumpkin gourd itself, not quite so much like the Thanksgiving pie, you know? But, um... Mm-hmm. That exists too, and it really just depends on the type of beer. If we're talking about like an ale, just a run-of-the-mill regular beer, that is going to be something you'll see more of like the fruity pumpkin flavor. And if you're talking about like a stout maybe, or uh, maybe like a porter that you're going to add pumpkin flavor to, uh, that you might see more of the dessert kind of pumpkin spicy flavor. And that's another thing with pumpkin flavored things, is that it is really common to see pumpkin pie flavored things and just be like, it's a pumpkin flavor thing. It's a pumpkin thing. You wouldn't understand. Yes, uh, the pumpkin blumpkin. <laughs> the pumpkin blumpkin. This whole entire time, I was trying to not say anything about fucking a pumpkin, and you brought it there. So, just so everyone's acutely aware, I was not the one that brought up fucking the pumpkin. Okay, you don't fuck the pumpkin. It's just an accessory to the blumpkin. So, okay, is this like the grapefruit-like 
fucking sucking the dick thing where like you, you core the fucking grapefruit and then you put it on the dude's dick and you like swish it up and down while you're like licking the tip like you don't like it's it but is this just with a pumpkin because that's got to be a big dick okay no uh it's not like that uh, just go to urban dictionary and look up blumpkin and you can imagine how the pumpkin's gonna play into it i'm not gonna get into that right here again we're not that podcast uh well i mean we might as well be but i will let you continue uh you guys all make your own assumptions yeah 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 so uh to bring this thing together um there are lots of pumpkin beers out there i recommend trying them it's a love it or hate it kind of thing most people uh know exactly where they stand on pumpkin beer and um if you don't highly recommend giving it a shot just to see if it's something for you uh that's kind of a synoptic view of how beer is going to be made and also how pumpkin's going to play into that i'm not super into the pumpkin beers but i do try one every year to see if my tastes change ah yes kind of like mayonnaise yeah like i have a i have a take it or leave it relationship with mayonnaise where i used to be uh mayonnaise never Uh uh-huh and now you're mayonnaise sometimes like if it's a cool garlic aioli mayonnaise oh yeah Uh, fuck yeah or like a chipotle aioli that's fucking delicious but you know it's it's gotten to the point where i will not add mayo to something i am making but if someone already has mayo on something i will not ask for it to be taken off i see i see he's moving on up in the world hell yeah because let's just face it mcchickens need the mayo like they just do nobody wants a dry ass sandwich Nobody wants a dry-ass fucking McChicken. By the way, where the fuck did the spicy McChicken go? Who knows? Uh, They basically have taken every good thing off of every fast food menu except for Jack in the Box, and I avoid Jack in the Box at all costs. I've never eaten at a Jack in the Box, but we used to get the commercials for uh, fucking Jack in the Box all the way in, um, you know, suburbs suburbs of Atlanta, and the nearest Jack in the Box was in fucking Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, uh, not awesome, not not awesome on their part. I don't, I don't know what they're missing out on not bringing Jack in the Box to Atlanta. But now that I actually have them all over the place, they're like a plague here in California. Um, they they make good egg rolls. It's not something you would expect to get at a Jack in the Box, but you know the egg rolls are good. A Jack on a Jack in the Box in every town, a bar on every street, a church on every corner, and a Chick Fil A that uh, has way too many people in the drive-through lane. This is this is America now. Yes, beautiful. Uh, I said I'm still mad they took away the Doritos Locos Tacos. They still have the nacho cheese one, but all the other flavors are gone. And also, stop being cowards and bring back the volcano taco. Stop. Yeah, exactly. Like what? What would change? We don't need the fucking colorful shell. We just want the goddamn sauce. And you know what? Put it on the Dorito Nacho Shell Taco. Yeah, exactly. What What would it change? That's the thing I hate when Taco Bell just gets rid of dumb shit. And it's like, but you still have the stuff for it. You could still make that. You you don't have to get rid of it. Like uh, like the grilled stuffed nacho. They have everything that make the grilled stuffed nacho, and they just continually don't make it. Like I if you ask them, they'll go no. The only solution to this problem is to have a friend that just bites the bullet and works part time at the Taco Bell, so all the boys can go through the drive through and get the secret stuff from the menu that you know they can make, but just are not putting out there on the menu. That, or may I suggest, maybe we have just let taco bell be taco bell for too long maybe it's time that taco bell learns what a fucking democracy is even if we have to force them to understand that so you're basically inciting a revolution against yum foods i am inciting a riot against the taco bell machine like like no more fucking um limited time offers just fucking either make it and keep it on the menu or don't ah so what you're basically proposing is having one big taco bell ikea in every city that has all the ingredients to make all of the taco bell items that have ever existed in mass you know what? Who needs a fucking ice cream truck? Taco Bell, get on it. Have a Taco Bell truck that will just come through people's neighborhoods. You can, It'll just go bong, bong, bong. Like some sort of ominous Mad Maxian fucking vehicle thing that just shoots down the lane and it has like a fucking high schooler in there that's just high off the dopest legal marijuana because in this society we've also finally made the government make marijuana legal and they he just goes come get your tacos boom 
Uh, yeah, okay. So I think uh, this is the final form of Metallica's song based on the poem uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yes. Th- this you is, are. Th- <laughs> you are For Whom the Bell Tolls, and this is it coming for you. How is that not Taco Bell's slogan? You are For Whom the Bell Tolls. That's really dark, and I love this new edgy post-apocalyptic Taco Bell. <laughs> It doesn't have to be post-apocalyptic. It just has to be post um, the uh, the free. It's post free market, basically. I see. We, so it we tell Taco to the Bell what we want. <laughs> we cannot keep doing this. We have to move on. Oh, this has gone so off the rails. I love it. All right. Um, speaking of off the rails, uh, Frank Synopsis now has a permanent uh, residence in Central Park. Um, I don't know if anyone is paying him to be there, but uh, he said he is not going to be on the rails any longer. Uh, Frank, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing just fine. I am. Uh, I uh, I've turned over a new leaf. I-, I bought myself lunch today. You bought yourself lunch, so. You are now not in a bus deficit. No, 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 of course not. They kind of has stopped expecting me to pay up, so that, that was an easy one for me after a while. Uh, it wasn't always the case that I was even able to use the bus. Oh, okay, so uh, is that like a shower situation, like they needed you to take a shower, or you just didn't have the bus fare? Yes. Okay, fair enough. All right, Frank, well, it's Halloween, and it's Halloween in Central Park, too. Uh, what, what are your favorite Halloween things to do in Central Park? Oh, my favorite things to do in Central Park at Halloween. Um, well, there are leaves. Uh, sometimes yes. I like to uh, kind of rake them together. Uh, not necessarily in the way you might think. I, I kind of make a sculpture out of them. Oh, okay. Um, how does that work? Do you have to wait for them to be like a little wet so that you can, uh, you know, mold them to your choosing? Oh, yeah. You don't necessarily have to You have to wait. You just kind of make them wet yourself and then you form them into the shape that you want. Ah, okay. That's disgusting. I don't know. I don't... You know what? Actually, what do you make them wet with, Frank? A magician never reveals the secrets. Ah, okay. Fair enough, Frank. Let's move off the topic of Halloween in Central Park and move on to the topic of Halloween from 1978. Frank, did you have a chance to watch the movie and give me a synopsis? Oh, of course I did. Uh, I remember it well. I remember Halloween 1978, and I remember Halloween in 1963 when it takes place. Alrighty, well, go ahead with that synopsis then, Frank. Alright. On Halloween night in 1963, six-year-old Michael Myers stabbed his sister to death. He was sent to a mental institution for the rest of his life. That is until October 31st, 1978, when he came home. Beautiful. Very succinct. Uh, I think everybody gets the picture. Thank you very much, Frank. Um, your your check is on the table. Um, craft services, quote unquote, has left you some sort of pizza pumpkin thing. Oh, that I hope you enjoy. Wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, the crust is pumpkin skin. I don't know how that works, and uh, I decided not to eat it, but. I'm sure you won't turn down a good meal, Frank, even though you can afford your own now. Never will. I'll see you later. I'll see you later, buddy. John, are you back with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it hasn't rained here recently, right? It has not rained in this vast void of uh, fictionalized New York City where this this fake studio exists. I see. So, um, are you just spraying a pile of leaves outside with your garden hose? Um, no, and uh, I wouldn't go over there and smell that. That might not be fun for you. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not even going to ask. Yep, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. All right, Halloween 1978. Let's get right into it with uh, just some basic Wikipedia info. We like to give you this so you have a baseline and you know kind of like the the characters we're going to be talking about here. All right, so Halloween was directed by John Carpenter and produced by Deborah Hill. Uh, The screenplay was by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Uh, The film stars Donald Pleasance as Dr. Sam Loomis. Jamie Lee Curtis as Laura as Laurie Strode, PJ Souls as Linda Van Derklok. Don't know why you would bother naming her that because her last name never fucking comes up. Mm. Um, Nancy Loomis as uh, Annie Brackett and Nick Castle as Michael Myers. Okay, so they have an actor named Nancy Loomis in the same cast as a character named Doctor Sam Loomis. Yes, and they are not related in the slightest. And it's um I think it's funny. It's kind of an in joke. It's kinda of, it's kind of a goof. It's kind of a gaff. I like it. I like it. Let's move on. I like it. Let's I love it. Alright, so the music was also by John Carpenter, a cinematography by Dean Country, uh edited by Tommy Lee Wallace and Charles Bornstein. Mm. Uh pro- 
The production companies were Compass International Pictures and Falcon International Productions, distributed by Compass International Pictures and Aquarius Releasing. Uh, it was released on October 25th, 1978. Uh, it had a budget of around $300,000 to $325,000 and a box office return of 60 to $70 million. Ah, uh, now that is a turnaround. That is a Juno turnaround. That is, the, it is indeed a Juno turnaround. Halloween is one of the most successful independent films of all time. Amazing. I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy they killed all these teenagers on screen. <laughs> I'm so happy that they made a blatant uh, Black Christmas ripoff. We'll get into it. Uh, all right. But in order for all of this to make sense, we got to start where all stories start. An insane asylum. Love it. All right. So sometime in the early 1960s, John Carpenter went with a college psychology class to a psychiatric institute in Kentucky. Uh, they they went to a ward with uh, the most serious mental patients. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Carpenter then met a young man with the most intense schizophrenic stare he'd ever seen in his life. It was almost as if he was evil embodied and there was no soul behind those eyes. Black like a doll's eyes. I see, I see. So this is one that you might call like wacko for sacco? Like the only cure is a hammer and a chisel apparently. (laughs) Yep, just gotta go digging around in that brain. Just gotta take bits and pieces out till, uh... At least something resembling a human comes out of it. I love how they used to just core out pieces of people's brain like an ice sample from a glacier. Yep, they would just be, and they, and they would do it at random too. Like it wouldn't be the same place ever. They just go, mm, maybe if we take this part out. Or is it? Where's it? Where's it here? Here on the side of your head. It's amazing what the human brain can withstand. And I'm glad that we know not to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like all this cheap Mad Dog 2020 and public education. Good God. All right. So that all being said, this child became the inspiration for Michael Myers. Some years later, Carpenter began working in the film industry. Uh, His first film was The Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976. Mm. And after viewing it, producer Erwin Yoblins approached Carpenter about making a film about about a psychotic killer that stalked babysitters. You know, just like anybody else does. Like, hey, I really liked your movie. How would you like to make a film where a bunch of babysitters get killed? You know uh, what? That's that's exactly what I wanted. I we make an awesome team. I I don't know you, man, but we're we're friends. We okay. I'm glad we're friends. You need to do it for three hundred thousand dollars. All right, sweet. All right, let's make it happen. All right. So Carpenter accepted and thought it sounded kind of like Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark. Huh. And which we have also covered. That we um, have. I don't I don't remember if that episode is good or not, but go check it out. Yeah. Um, according to Clark in a 2005 interview, Carpenter actually called him up and asked him if he had any ideas for a sequel to Black Christmas. Uh, apparently, uh, John Carpenter kind of toyed with the idea of tying it into Black Christmas. Ah, now so they just have like White Halloween. <laughs> white halloween just sounds like it has a lot of tiki torches involved in it don't like it on the record (laughs) don't like it on the record all right carpenter signed a contract uh to direct write and score the film for ten thousand dollars us that's uh write direct and score the film for ten thousand dollars Right, well, and as you'll see, it was only about a month's worth of work. So, I mean, hey, whatevs. Them's also $1978. That is also $1978. So that's actually a lot of money for one month of work. It's also, like, a pretty significant percentage of the budget. Anyway, uh, so Carpenter also hired his then-girlfriend, Deborah Hill, to write and produce the film with him. Carpenter and Hill wrote the script about around over ten days and uh, used several things from their experiences growing up in the film. Hill was a babysitter in her teens and wrote most of the female dialogue. Uh, The fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois, was based on Hill's hometown of Haddonfield, New Jersey. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's one thing that we have a lot of in Haddonfield, Illinois. It's... Big old corn-fed boys. Big old corn-fed boys, and they're uh, petite and well-adjusted wives. Right. Uh, you say wives, I mean uh, a prey. This is this is a predator-prey relationship we're describing here. Oh, exactly. It's disgusting. Anyway, um, so most of the street names came from Carpenter's hometown of Bowling Green, Kentucky, and uh, the name Laurie Strode was allegedly one of Carpenter's old girlfriend's names. Gross. 
Right, considering how she's the only one that survives and you're writing it with your current girlfriend. Yeah, it that's kind of gross. Like, I gotta be honest, if that's that's alleged. It's not it's never been proven, but that's kind of fucking gross. Yeah, I see. I don't even think Rob Zombie would do that. Uh well Rob Zombie puts his naked wife in most of his movies, so I don't know. He might be fine with it. Anyway. Even Rob Zombie has principles. Even Rob Zombie has principles. All right. I've heard he's actually a really nice guy, along with Marilyn Manson. Oh, yeah, apparently, I they're, apparently they're very nice gentlemen. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Marilyn Manson has a, a fun activity that he does where he just gets drunk and like buys gifts for himself on Amazon. You know what? That's adorable. And that's exactly what I want my rock stars to do. I want them to do their rock star shit when they're on stage, but I want them to take care of themselves and have fun off stage. Michael Myers was also the name of an English producer who worked with Carpenter on Assault on Precinct 13, and I don't know how I'd feel about that. Ah, uh, yeah, kind of like when you uh, talk about Michael Jackson and people start talking about, you know, the Michael Jackson, but you're actually talking about, like, the British writer from the 70s, Michael Jackson. <laughs> I, I Do you know of an actual British writer from the 70s named Michael Jackson? Yes, look it up. Oh, dear God. Okay, all right, that's a real thing. All right, moving on. The working title of the script was dun dun dun, dun the babysitter murders. Ah, glad like, they didn't stick with that. <laughs> kind of like the babysitters club, but it just takes a really dark turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like how the original title for dinosaurs was like big reptile smash raw fest. Jesus Christ! I was more thinking uh babysitters club this Halloween. Say hello to your friends okay see that's pretty good um you know and like how dinosaurs original tagline was like i i'm baby don't you love me but that was like too triggering so they say gotta love me as if to imply that you do have to love the baby you you are required to love this baby look at how cute it is how can you not love it if you don't love it you have a soul you have no soul sir uh-huh. You have, you have no soul and no salsa. Anyway, but, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. Bit of a Michael Myers there, no soul. No soul. Black eyes. Like a doll's eyes. It, that's just my favorite thing to say now. It just just take it all back to Jaws. Anyway, they did not, uh, they didn't stick with this. Uh, Yo- Producer Yoblins actually suggested making the film take place on Halloween night and calling the film simply Halloween. Uh, cue the Halloween theme. I'm not going to sing it for fear of copyright infringement. Uh, you can do it for about seven seconds. Ah, uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna save it now that I know I have seven seconds to work with. Yes, it's, you have seven seconds. All right. Anyway, use it at your discretion. Use it when you need it. Or if you All at right. home want to get on your Spotify or whatever streaming account, again, not sponsored, should be, um, and just play the Halloween theme over and over again behind the episode, uh, you can DIY that at home to circumvent the legal reasons why we can't do that. <laughs> we're diy but you have to be as well yeah yeah, exactly we're 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 making like a we're it's kind of like a um dark side of oz or whatever you want to call that shit we're we're doing that with our podcast yeah yeah yeah. it's like when you live in a uh when you live in an authoritarian hellhole state that limits the size of soda you can buy so you just buy three bottles and then take them home and pour them in an old big gulp cup that you have to relive the memories (laughs) that you keep under the floorboards in like a in like a shoebox and you just take it out every now and again, and you just hold it just ever so closely to your heart. Yes, yes. Fill it up with ice from the gas station, because that's the best kind of ice. Well, you can't take it, so you have to also get, like, 14 smaller size fucking things of ice. Anyway, where's this going? I don't know. I was just talking about a DIY project you too can do at home to relive the good old days when you could get 48 ounces of fucking cola for 79 cents. If you take it all the way back to the 90s. All right, give me 48 ounces of the mister. I want Mr. Pan. I, you cannot call it the mister. <laughs> I like it. Not Did allowed. you know that... Did you know that Dick Van Dyke's uh, wife is uh, 40 years younger than he is, and she calls him the mister? That is really... uh, Just no. We're not doing that. We're not honoring that with attention. (laughs) Okay. I'll make sure we do a Dick Van Dyke movie at some point, so we have to talk about it. All right. So the main concept for the action of the script is based on the haunted house folklore that exists in most small towns. You know, like... You have a house that's, like, either burnt down or, like, really run down and kids go, hey, it's haunted. You should go put your dick in it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. There's Satanists over there. <laughs> There's Satanists over there. You know, every town has something like that. It doesn't have to be a house. It could be, like, you know, a field or some sort of 
weird thing where a bunch of teenagers went out and, like, made some sort of satanic campfire-looking thing. Yeah, but really it's just, you know, all the groovy kids from school who, like, know how to read and, you know, also like to fuck sometimes. They're the fun kids to hang out with. So... <laughs> <laughs> the kids who don't read also fuck, but they do it with alcohol instead of reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also like to put a bunch of... <sighs> that. That's. I don't want to say they put a bunch of pallets together in a field and light it on fire, but they do. Because I know people who are cool that do that as well. Hey, man, there's nothing wrong because uh, I work in a warehouse and sometimes those, uh, those pallets go bad. You got to do something with them. And what do you do other than burn them? Uh, there you go. Go drive them through the field in your tractor and get all those nails in there. Uh, it's great. Costs like $1,000 for one of those fat-ass tires. Jesus Christ. All right. So Carpenter and Hill wanted Michael to be mysterious. And just just some unknown, unstoppable force of evil and mayhem. Uh, Carpenter had this to say about the film. It's a true crass exploitation film. I decided to make a film I would love to have seen when I was a kid. Full of old, cheap tricks like at a haunted house at a fair when you walk down the this corridor and things jump out at you i see okay so i'm gonna say that he is well within his right to say he wanted to recreate the film i really don't think after watching cannibal holocaust you can call it true crass exploitation absolutely not there's there is much more crass exploitation this might be exploitation on the uh on the part of the American youth, but it is not exploitation on the part of the world. So, you know what, John Carpenter? I think you're doing the Lord's work here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're bringing exploitation film in a watered-down, milky glass to the masses. It, beautiful. I don't I don't like that at all. Mm -hmm. Let's get into casting. Yeah. All right, so the low budget of the film prevented any truly big names from appearing in the film. Uh, Peter Cushing, who, if you're not familiar with Peter Cushing, he's Grandma fucking Tarkin from Star Wars, and you should know exactly who the fuck that is. And if you don't, why are you listening to this? Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> he was approached for the role of Dr. Loomis, uh, but turned the role down due to low salary, which eh, I can't blame him. He was, he was a pretty big actor at this time yeah 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 and this is after he did a bunch of horror movies beforehand alongside christopher lee who i understand also turned down the role uh christopher lee also turned down the role of dr loomis but uh he later told carpenter that it was a huge regret and that if he had actually read the script closer he probably would have done it but I think the man they got for the job was pretty decent, uh, Donald Pleasurance. Uh, he was a guitarist at the time, uh, like a freelance guitarist, which I guess you could be that in the 70s. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he auditioned for the role because his daughter loved uh, Assault on Precinct 13. I don't, I don't know how those things, like, coincide. I, well, I, I mean, I know how they coincide. I wrote this damn write-up. But it's kind of like, I, I, I don't know how he was like, oh, John Carpenter's doing this thing. My daughter loves that. I guess I'll go audition. And then John Carpenter was like, I can't get Christopher Lee, so fuck it, you'll do. I, um, you know, <laughs> California was a smaller place back when they were making movies like this. I guess so. I guess the independent film circuit is a lot smaller then. Now it's every movie's an independent movie, technically if yes. you want to think about right, it. Right, because they'll just, you know, shell out a studio name under, you know, the big media conglomerate and be like, this is the biggest indie film of the year. Be like, nope, nope, you are Lionsgate. Yeah, you are Lionsgate. You are a smaller production company. You are not an independent film company. Please Right, stop. right, right. It's almost like if Starbucks bought a local coffee shop and then just kept the name on it but started serving Starbucks coffee and be like, no, you're still Starbucks. This is still Starbucks. Bring out the fucking mermaid lady. I know she's back there. <laughs> All right. Um, let's settle down. Carpenter uh, had no idea who Jamie Lee Curtis was. Uh, and just, if you guys don't know who Jamie Lee Curtis is, she's uh, that uh, poop and yogurt lady. What? Active Activia lady. Oh, God. You, you <laughs> said the poop in yogurt. I thought you said poop in yogurt. Nope, just, uh, sorry, my southern accent, or my slight southern twang has uh, pronounced me again. I, it's, uh, I, I bet just poop in yogurt. <laughs> Pooping yogurts. Um, anyway, she's that lady. I, you know exactly who she is. Um, but what you might not know is she just so happens to be the daughter of Tony Curtis, who was uh, the lead male role in Some Like It Hot, also starring Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. And uh, Janet Lee, who you all probably know, even if you haven't seen it, as the woman from the shower scene in Psycho. Ah, uh, yes. The Scream Queen. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis inherited that from her. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, also the mom from Freaky Friday. Yes. The, I, I, I wanted to go with the poop yogurt one first. Oh, okay, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. I... I... <laughs> 
Yep. Yep. I'm glad that you did. Again, I'm, principles. Principles. We 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 have an MO here and that is uh we have to mention poop somewhere in here. Got to got to get that lowest common denominator listener. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised we didn't shoehorn it in there with uh, a Taco Bell. You know what? It's low-hanging fruit. We we will go for the poop joke, but we're not going to go for the low-hanging fruit. Even mm-hmm. though probably calling Jamie Lee Curtis the poop yogurt lady was probably low-hanging fruit. Anyway, um <laughs> Carpenter originally wanted Anne Lockhart, the daughter of June Lockhart from Lassie, to play Laurie, but she was busy at the time, and upon learning of Jamie Lee Curtis's parentage, Carpenter agreed to cast her for the great publicity. Uh, This created a somewhat heritage of horror. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Uh, You got a few of those. And uh, then her daughter, which was... um... Uh, who was who was that from Freaky Friday? Who was that? Um... Uh, that's Lindsay Lohan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, legacy of horror. <laughs> she creates a whole legacy of horror on her own. And you know what? I'm just gonna say it now. Not all her fault. Poor. Li- I, I'm I'm gonna start the. You know what? Let's just leave Lindsay Lohan alone and let's just let her figure her life out. Yeah, isn't she like uh, doing that TV series now where she has like a like a beach resort in Greece? I, I think so. I just, I remember when she tried to sue Grand Theft Auto, or she just, she she tried to sue Rockstar for her likeness being used in Grand Theft Auto 5, and she lost that. Yeah, yeah, um... It's made up. It's a it's it's a fake game. It, it, it's it, a fake it's fiction. <laughs> anyway, let's finish off casting by talking about Nick Castle, who was paid twenty five dollars a day to play Michael Myers, uh, while Tony Marin, who plays Michael unmasked, was paid about a hundred dollars for thirty minutes of work. Okay, yeah. So, um, you know, that's like working at Starbucks in California in twenty twenty. Good God. <laughs> Do they pay $100 an hour? I know, but it feels that way sometimes. It feels that way sometimes. Fair enough. You know, when you are a lowly government peon making a salary, and then, uh, you know, you're like, if I worked at McDonald's, I'd be making twelve fifty right now. That is, you know what, that does fuck me up from time to time. Let's talk about California here in the filming section, because they definitely filmed this in California, even though it's supposed to be Illinois. Um, so the film received a budget of $300,000, like we said earlier, and so props had to use uh, a lot of items they already had a re- lying around to make the budget work. Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace suggested using a James T. Kirk, uh, William Shatner's lead role on the original Star Trek for The Mask of Michael. Uh, they spray-painted the face like a bluish, like almost dead white. Mm. Uh, they changed the hair up a little bit and widened the eyes. And so that's uh, that's what the Michael Myers mask is. It is a repurposed uh, James T. Kirk mask. Ah, uh, yeah, like an Evanescence meets Slipknot. That That is actually very apt. That is a good comparison. I know uh, things. Well done. <laughs> I know things. All right. So uh, most of the cast wore their own clothing in the film as, as well. And Jamie Lee Curtis's wardrobe was actually purchased at JCPenney for around $100. Uh, but that's a 1978 $100 that you could get from working for 30 minutes with your mask off. Exactly. So <laughs> they gave $100 to a guy uh, with a... I don't think his face is actually messed up in real life. I think he was just like a monster actor. Ah, okay. A bit like uh, uh, McGrory from... Um, uh, House of a Thousand yes. Corpses. Yes. Uh, may he rest in peace. Ripped, anyway, um, the film took 20 days to shoot. Uh, so, like I said, about a month's worth of work, because I don't think John Carpenter edited this thing. Um, I couldn't find who edited it, but uh, I don't think it was Carpenter. I so see. about 30 days worth of work, 10,000 bucks, that ain't bad. So I wonder what the stress on set is like for this type of movie. You know, like sometimes like the director will literally sleep like five hours a night during shooting because he just has to be awake for every minute of work that's being done. So do you think that, like, by the end of it, he was truly just sitting behind the camera in the chair and be like, ha, yeah, ha, stabber, ha, ha, yeah. And then they're like, whoa, 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 hold on, roll it back. We gotta, we gotta roll it back a little bit. I know you're tired. We gotta roll it back. Um, probably, but apparently the set was uh, a collaborative set. So, like, John Carpenter would actually take ideas from the actors and try and implement them as much as possible. And most of the cast actually helped uh, move set pieces, uh, fix the lights, you know, fix each other's makeup, etc. Like, th- th- so it truly was like kind of like friends making a like a college movie. Oh, that's fun. It's not like uh, it's not like the case where in The Shining, where Kubrick is just like literally whipping Shelley Duvall with like a cat of nine tails the whole time. Yeah, th- that's not exactly true, but yes, I I do agree. It's, Be it, this scared. is not a Kubrick what? film. Be scared. What? 
we'll actually get into uh, how Carpenter dealt with having telling people to be scared. We'll get into that in a minute. Alright, so uh, this was one of the first films to make use of a steady cam. A camera attached to a body apparatus that follows the cameraman to move freely within the space or the set. Ooh, okay. I feel like we've talked about this once or twice. Yeah, we have. So, uh, before the steady cam, everything used to be on dollies. So it would be like like a metal track, almost like a train track that the camera would go on and it would uh, follow wherever the director needed to go and, you know, it had to be set up ahead of time. But with steady cam, you can now move freely and the camera can be as shaky or not shaky as you want it to be oh wonderful so that's how some of those like long like sidewalk shots were achieved mm-hmm. so anyway <laughs> sorry i i get i get excited about new camera work being used in movies um filming locations included south pasadena california uh garfield elementary in alhambra california a cemetery in sierra madre california a home owned by a church stood in for myers house um a and two homes on Orange Grove Avenue in the Spalding Square neighborhood of Hollywood, California was used for the climax scene. Uh, This street was chosen because it had no palm trees. However, if you look in some of the establishing shots from like, I think specifically like the 1963 portion of the film that like starts off the film, you can see a few palm trees in the beginning establishing shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like giant dandelions out here. Yeah, you can't you can't really get rid of them. It's kind of hard. Um, I think also th- doesn't the like government of California protect those trees, so you can't just get rid of them. Uh, it depends on the type. Depends on where they're at. Uh, okay, so it's just like any other place. I thought that they were like pretty, you know, stringent on that. No, they're like rats. Uh, <laughs> they're like rats. <laughs> I I wish that we didn't have rats. I want to live in the Futurama world where uh rats are kind of extinct and owls have taken over as the new rats and pigeons. Ah, uh, I see. I see. Yeah, that that's a, that's a fun time. You know, rats with wings, they like to shit on everything. <laughs> I love it. Uh families within the neighborhood actually dressed their children in Halloween costumes for the exterior shots. So, lots lots of free actors. Yes, free actors. Just- that want to be in a babysitter killer movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like how uh, there's a lot of free pizza if you hang out around the dumpster behind Little Caesars. Hey, man, they're just throwing it out. <laughs> like, and it's good pizza. It's fine pizza. Usually they don't take it out of the box even. They just throw it right in there. So, I mean, as long as you're getting it within 20 minutes of it being in there, you're fine. Yeah, 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 you just gotta share it with the rats and the pigeons. You gotta share it with the rats with the rats. Anyway, alright, so... Uh, sponsored, crew... actually, fun fact. Sponsored. We are sponsored by rats. Alright, so, uh, the crew had to reuse pumpkins and artificial fall leaves throughout the whole shooting process because they were kinda hard to find in the spring when they shot it. Right, yeah, especially here in California where it's just hot all the time. Exactly, so feel bad for them while you're watching, you know, especially Michael Myers being that giant, like, you know, automotive engineer fucking suit with that mask on he probably had to have been sweating like a motherfucker under that thing oh that's the cool thing about wearing those jumpsuits is that you don't actually have to wear anything underneath them Ooh, going going commando yeah yeah, all yeah, right yeah. and then the, like the sweat print is just like cocking nuts Ooh, cocking nuts coming to you this this fall from kellogg cereals all right um carpenter gave the actors a fear meter because uh, the film was shot out of sequence as most films are uh curtis remembers carpenter telling her um her fear should be a seven or a 9.5 for specific scenes i see yep so definitely different from kubrick uh kubrick was like i'm gonna show you how scared you should be and carpenter was like no i mean if you're like this scared that'd be cool ah yeah yeah yeah. kubrick was literally just sitting behind the camera with a 12 gauge shotgun Just, if you fuck up this this scene, this scene is a painting, and if you fuck it up, I'm gonna... F- I'm not gonna do anything. Yeah, no, he, anyway. he didn't. He would have, though. <laughs> he, he might have. He wanted you to think he would. He was more in uh, character for The Shining than Jack Nicholson. Yeah, probably. We need to we need to get around to covering The Shining one day. One day. It's our, it's our great Lost episode. Anyway, Carpenter gave Castle very little direction. He told him not to act and to just go from one set marker to the next. Uh, the only direction he actually gave him was to tilt his head when he stakes Bob to the wall, and he told him to look at it as if he was looking at a beautiful butterfly collection. Ah, wonderful. How fitting. Pinning living stuff to the wall. I love it. <laughs> It is kind of weird how people do that. They put, like, butterflies in shadow boxes and shit. Uh, send them to the shadow realm where they belong. They are creepy. The shadow realm. <laughs> the sh- We gotta send you to the shadow realm, Jimbo. Th- that's a deep cut internet reference. Like, that, that is... A, that that is- is- <laughs> 
that 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 comes from around the time of like uh airhorn let it go and uh airhorn whatever other song you wanted it to be i huh yeah well technically that was the golden age of the internet that was the golden age of uh mlg yes yeah and then everything after 2017 was a mistake everything yep exactly i completely agree everything after 2017 was a mistake we're not supposed to be here they stopped the meteor from coming, and they shouldn't have. Right, 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 right. All right, so let's get into some of Carpenter's tunes for the film. Ooh. And they ain't no The Carpenter's tunes. Ah, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, I had to stop halfway through because seven seconds. Yep, seven seconds. All right. So the film had no symphonic soundtrack. But does feature several themes composed by John Carpenter himself. Uh, he wrote the main Halloween theme in a 10-8 time signature, which is just... Fuck you, it's 5-4. <laughs> I, I, I was so hoping you would get angry at this. I did this on purpose. Because <laughs> John Carpenter said it's a 10-8 time signature, but it's like, it's 5-4, you fucking idiot. <laughs> if you want longer measures, just say that. <laughs> He wanted the theme to have a similar feel to the theme from Suspiria from 1977 and the Tubular Bells theme from The Exorcist of 1973. Oh, okay. And he accomplished this with like a uh, like an $80 Casio keyboard? Yeah, basically. Uh, it took Carpenter three days to compose the score and he credited himself in the film as the Bowling Green Symphonic Orchestra. That's funny. That I, he, I'm glad he has a, uh, you know, sense of humor a moniker. About it. Yeah. He does. And honestly, I mean, it's a pretty good theme. Like, it's it's lived on beyond even the, the series. Like, that sound is just associated with something creepy or Halloween-esque. Yeah, yeah, but you could also say that, like, uh, Photograph by Nickelback lives on from its original, you know, intended purpose just wow they sure are photographs yeah well, i'm looking at these photographs listening to photograph by nickelback and i'm just i'm just inserting his narrative into my own life wow it's almost it's almost like they are also completely flat like a photograph wow wow all right so um one licensed song was used in the film and that is a uh, don't fear the reaper by the blue oyster cult ah uh, yes uh, i'm glad they didn't pick the godzilla song by blue oyster cult i i'm very glad they didn't do that um although could but... you imagine there being like a radio playing in the background with that song on and then michael myers appears and just pins you to the wall with a knife i would love that that's pretty badass right. actually well can we do that can we do our own remake of this in a rob zombie-esque fashion um, I think Rob Zombie would have to Rob Zombie us for doing that, but sure. I see, I see. Let's try. Mm. All right, so let's move on to the release. I say, so the movie premiered at an AMC in downtown Kansas, Missouri on October 25th, 1978. Not sure why. Um, the film grossed about $47 million in the U.S. and $13 million internationally, like I said earlier, making it one of the most successful independent films of all time. I love that. I love a success story. We love to see it. We yeah. love to see it. All right. So ABC acquired the rights to show the film uh, on television for $3 million, and it, and it premiered on TV in October of 1981. Oh, that's good. I'm glad it made it to TV. Uh, you know, if it didn't make it to TV, uh, maybe it also would end up on the list of video nasties. Did this actually make it on the list of video nasties? Uh, no, but it was definitely not something that a good Christian boy would be watching. Yeah, okay. Well, whatever. Uh, it, right. All right. And I'm not going to bore you with all of this, but uh, let's talk about the home video releases. Hey. Uh, so... It was first released on VHS in 1979 by Media Home Entertainment. Uh, this release has actually been a collector's item for a while and last sold for 13220 bucks. That's an expensive tape. That's an expensive tape. Um, I don't even know of anyone that really wants to watch things on VHS anymore. I know it's out there, but uh, why? As it's a person who owns this movie on VHS, I will say there is a different kind of feel. It's like vinyl records, except, you know, it's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing it's um but it's also like i don't like vhs because a lot of vhs copies of things are in full screen and pan and scan and just fuck that okay i get it but like at the same time the grainy cassette nature of the sound and the visuals are incredible like watching night of the living dead on vhs is the way to do it i could see that i could see that. this movie is similar i i would love to keep talking about this but we must move all on. right all right so first released on dvd on october 28th 1998 by anchor bay entertainment um several dvds 
DVD versions of this are out there, including an extended version from first release in 1999 and several anniversary editions. Uh, the first Blu-ray was released on October 2nd, 2008, and the first 4K Blu-ray was released on September 25th, 2018. Yes, I- I'm very excited that they have done so many versions of the same movie. Just keep releasing it on VHS. Just keep releasing it on VHS. The new 4K UHD Blu-ray of Halloween by John Carpenter with VHS visuals. Yes, love it. They need a VHS mode. (laughs) You know what? I think we should. I think for the people that love it, they should have it. Yeah. We would love to see it. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the legacy of this film. Uh, So as we all know, we all know, you can't escape this fucking franchise. No, no, no. It's everywhere. It had seven sequels. Uh, There's two more in the works and two remakes. Uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were only involved in the making of Halloween 2. Hmm. Okay, uh, which Hall- is not actually a canonical sequel. Halloween 2 is a canonical sequel. It is a direct sequel to Halloween. But uh, it's, let, let's just get into it. All right, so um, Halloween 3 came directly, obviously, after Halloween 2. And it's the only film to not feature Michael Myers, even though a trailer for the first film in the series can't be seen on a TV in the background of a scene right. in Halloween 3. This is what I was um, thinking of. Yes. And uh, Halloween 4 uh kind of ignores parts of Halloween 2. Uh, Halloween 5 starts a completely different timeline. Halloween 6, 7, H2O, and then all of that. Those are all different timelines, and then they just kind of, like, dropped all of that, did the two Rob Zombie remakes, dropped those. Those are no longer... Those aren't canon either. And so now the new canon ignores Halloween 2 through 7, uh, both Rob Zombie remakes, and is a direct sequel to the first Halloween film. I see. Uh, are they going to get the guy that plays the mountain from Game of Thrones to be Michael Myers? Uh, actually, I can't remember the actor's name that they have playing Michael now, but Nick Castle also does, uh, he does voice work for it. So it's the original Michael Myers, like, breathing sounds in the uh, film. Right. So when you have such an iconic breathing pattern that they use it, it's like your Darth Vader. It's pretty dope, honestly. Like, I mean, I mean, like, I, I would think that's pretty dope. It is. Honestly, yeah. like, I just have to breathe into a microphone for, like, you know, 20 minutes and I get millions of dollars. Fuck yeah. This sounds like a, like a side project for someone with an OnlyFans. <laughs> just, the just breathing OnlyFans. Yeah, breathing into the microphone for 20 bucks. Uh, you know, it's a side thing. I'll give you $10 for it. You know, that's like, think about it. You do the math, that's like $30 an hour to breathe into this microphone. Jesus Christ. I, w- I wish I could figure that out. I wish I could figure out how to make that work for myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have enough dick to slang on that website. But you so can I'm breathe. Stay off. I can breathe. Yes. If you're really into breathing, I got you. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Do all you kinds know. of different breaths. I could do a almost silent. I could do. Which almost sounds like I'm giving birth, but you can just imagine what I'm doing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you're just. The giving magic them, of radio. Yeah, you're giving them stock to put over other videos. Exactly. If I ever end up selling just the masters of this podcast and they just use it for sound bites for other things, I'm cool with that. What sound bites do we have that are good? Justice for Turtle? Hey, man, they could just take every word that we're using and we could be the new voice of Bixby. Yes, uh, perfect. So it, that's what we're going to be. We're going to be Bixby now, like like Wayne and Garth, but like way weirder. <laughs> Bixby and Hobbs, that, that'll be us. You'll, you'll, you'll ask Bixby for like, you know, actual information, but you ask Hobbs weird questions like, uh, hey, uh, Hobbs. How many hot dogs do you think can fit in one asshole? And I'll go like, probably like 27, dude. Ah. Ha ha ha. High five. Right. How many chicken skeletons can I fit in a suitcase? <laughs> I, I feel like you pulled that from the deep, deep, dark parts of your memory, John. I, that was too specific. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> All right, so in recent years, to close this all out, let's get a little pretentious. All right, so modern film scholars have, uh, given that, yeah, modern film scholars have, uh, said that Halloween actually has some pretty interesting themes that, that you can kind of dig into a little bit. The main theory being that, uh, Michael Myers is a manifestation of Laurie's anger about not having a boyfriend slash having sex. Uh. And so, this theory is supported by all the other teenagers are murdered just before or right after having sex, and Lori is the only, quote-unquote, pure one left at the end, and is the only one alive. Huh. Okay. Um, 
I would be interested to know why. I would be, yeah, it's not really clear that it's kind of like, I I could kind of support this theory because it's kind of really close to the monster movies of yore. Um, because this would make Michael Myers just like a Dracula. Whereas Dracula is a uh, manifestation of the distrust of foreigners. Michael is the manifestation of the distrust of unruly teenagers. I see. So it's the death of innocence then. It's the death of innocence. It's the rise of like we were talking about last week with um in our Cannibal Holocaust episode. Go listen if you haven't already. Um, and if you haven't eaten lunch yet. And if you haven't eaten lunch yet. That is the main thing. Don't eat soup. Yes, that's a bad While listening one. to that episode. Yeah, uh, that, that would be a bad choice. I'm going to say anyway. pho is probably the worst thing you could eat before watching that movie or listening to the podcast. Exactly. Anyway, um, so the 1980s saw a big rise in like conservatism and like uh, trying to bring back family values to the uh, American, you know, consciousness. Mm-hmm. After such an unruly time in the late 60s and early 70s, the 80s, the late 70s and early 80s were kind of spent trying to, like, kind of bring that all back in. Like, let's be a society again. Ah, so many mustaches and not a single ride to be had. (laughs) That might be my second favorite thing you've ever said on this podcast. I'm so glad I can throw one out there for you. Every now and again, I got a zinger. I know things. You know things. You're You're getting good at this, John. I like you. All right. Um. So, that that's basically my going theory. There is that like the rise of conservatism probably brought upon a movie like this. I could see it. Um. I like the death of innocence uh, thing there. I think that's pretty good considering that like it, the bad guy is Michael Myers. There are not other characters in here that are really bad guys. Like if you look at other movies from this time period, like uh. We'll take Friday the 13th, right? You could say that the kids are kind of the bad guys sometimes. Or that there are people that are not the killer, which, you know, may or may not actually be Jason Voorhees, uh, could be called bad guys or, like, bad actors in the whole context of the story. This is not necessarily the case. I don't think any of them are bad. They're just doing things that would uh, identify an artistic death of innocence and then having a guy like Michael Myers come along and mm, stabby, stabby, stabby a few times... Uh, you know, it kind of drives that point home. It's almost a cautionary tale of sorts. It seems to be, yes. Or maybe it is truly just commentary on maybe that going after the people that are experiencing that transition in their lives is uh, very harmful to the point of death. I like it. And uh, I like it so much. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's going to do it for this week. Do you have anything else to add on uh, Halloween from 1978, John? I may have hit the nail on the head, but a knife is not a good hammer. <laughs> A knife makes a really shitty hammer, uh, because even if you use the back end of the knife, like the handle, you still are, like, you might cut yourself if you're hitting it a little too hard. So don't use a knife as a hammer. Yeah, bad move. Bad move. All right, guys. So that's going to conclude this week. Uh, Please check us out next week for another uh, entry into our Slashers series. Um, I don't know why I said it like that, but uh, use it for a soundbite. Make me the new Bixby. Check us out on Facebook. Send us to your shitty friends. And as always, leave comments, likes, and links. For Four Year Inflammation, I'm Zach. And I'm John. Watch a new movie this week or watch an old one. Watch an old Halloween favorite. Tis the season. Bye, guys. Bye.